Amen, amen, amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Well, we are starting, kind of continuing, and we are also kind of starting a new series. And so, you know that we were in the book of Jude for the last four weeks, and we were dealing with defending the faith. And you can be seated um, if you're still standing. I'm going to do something a little bit different today. But in our Jude series, we were looking at the importance of defending the faith against false teachers, against false teaching, and the seeming confusion about truth and what true religion is as we look at um, um, Jude's exhortation to the church. Because what we're seeing is we're seeing the same thing that was happening then is this infiltration that is continuing on and nothing has changed. The enemy has been a deceiver from the beginning. If you go back to the book of Genesis, what does he always do? He wants to bring into question what God has said or bring into question God's word and nothing has changed. And as the church was born and, and people were living, even in the midst of the apostle Paul and the different people who were leading the church in the beginning, guess what? Same thing was happening. And so today we see a continuation of that. But what I want to do is I want to, and like I said, we're kind of continuing the same series, but we're also starting a new one and which is going to be entitled Lost and Found, Lost and Found. And what I want to talk about today is you can't defend an unshared faith. You cannot defend an unshared faith. And I hope over the next few weeks, um, some of you submitted questions, and so we'll deal with some of those questions here from uh, the, the podium. But what I will do also is I'm going to do some videos that will answer some of the questions that you guys brought up, and we'll post those videos out so that way you can get those answers and hopefully defend the faith. But one of the things that I want to do is I want to make sure that we're not just learning how to technically defend the faith, right? I, I, I want to make sure we're not just getting answers to questions that we have or that people have asked us and make us more equipped. It's funny because Pastor Aldo and I, we met on, on Friday. And for those of you who don't know, uh, the first Friday, you should all know this by now if you're part of Core Faith, but the first Friday of every month, we have a night of worship and prayer. We encourage you to come out. Amen. Hallelujah. Just, you know, just so you know, you have a month to prepare. Just put that on your calendar. But, but you know, in case you missed it, it was a great time. We worshiped. We sought. God, and then uh, as, as normal, Pastor Aldo and I, we're, we're, the, we're the elders of the church at this point, and so we meet after the prayer service, and as we were talking, one of the things that we were discussing is making disciples, and us as a church moving beyond just the, 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 the fundamentals of knowing what that is, right? Like, hey, we're going to learn more about making disciples, and it's like we're learning and learning and learning, but are we doing it? If you've been at Core Faith for five years, six years, I assure you, you've read at least five books. Hallelujah. Come on now. If you've been part of Core Connect, you have learned what it means to be a disciple, what it means to make disciples. If you've been through Rooted, you've learned what a small group should be like and what should be occurring. But the question is, are we being missionaries? Are we being the disciple makers that God wants us to be? And so I told you guys a few weeks ago about a friend of mine, and I invited my friend to come and share uh, with us because 
I want his, his faith. I want what has encouraged me, even as a leader of a church, to move beyond just the, the, the fundamentals of, hey, I know how to witness to someone. I, I know how to get in, you know, into a conversation about faith, but, but to move beyond that. And, and again, evangelism is one dimension, but I would dare to say it's one of the most important dimensions of being a follower of Jesus. And I say that because I see the battle, the struggle that there is with, with, with us actually being those missionaries. It's, again, it's, listen, and, 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 I, and I know it's, Pastor Aldo got up here, I was like, yo, he's about to burst a blood vessel because he was encouraging our faith with such passion. And we were like, Pastor Aldo, you know, it's the nine o'clock service. We're a little calm, nine o'clock, you know. We don't, we don't, we don't really get vocal, nine o'clock, you know. We're, we're a little docile, you know. And Pastor Aldo was like, but your faith, hallelujah. Yeah, should be encouraged. The fact that the fact is that we should, right? We should. We but, but but can I tell you something? This right here is the easiest part of our Christianity. This right here is the easiest part of your worship, especially with the music ministry like we have. Come on, give them a hand, hallelujah. They make it easy to sing. They, they, they lead you. You don't, you, don't, you, don't have, you don't have to motivate yourself. You just be motivated, amen. This is the easy part, church. This is the simple part. But, but when you move outside the four walls, which every one of you do, you know, we always talk about the church needs to get out of the four walls. Y'all know you leave the four walls every week, hallelujah. You only spend like an hour and a half, you know, depending on your, your service style. Two hours, maybe three. Max is going to be like three. Not here, not here. Hello. Unless you're in both services. Glory to God. That's the max amount of time you spend in the four walls. We're out of the four walls every day of the week. So anyway, I want to invite my friend Scott Projan. All right, come on, Scott. Come on up here. He's going to share with us. I'm just going to kind of ask him some questions. Put your hands together for him. Thank you for being with us, brother. This is my friend Scott, so you can just, yeah, you can, you can, you can chill right there. We're good. I'm going to stand over here so I don't forget my questions that I have for you. So I'm just going to kind of help him. But again, I told you about my friend Scott. And so just to, just to remind you, and for those of you that weren't here, my, my friend Scott, he sat down with me in the beginning of the year, and we had a, a conversation over lunch. And he was talking about what the Lord was doing in his life. And he said, you know, one of the things that God really put on my heart is going two by two to go knock on doors and just ask people if we can pray for them. And as I told Told you that Sunday, right? It was a big thing, right? Because for me, I'm like, man, I'm good preaching. Like, I, I'm, you know, you would think that you're, 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 you're nervous about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm nervous about that. That's not in my wheelhouse of things that I do, just going and knocking on people's doors. And yet, Scott said that, and I knew the Lord was speaking through him on that. And so I was like, before I make the 19 excuses that I have set up right now, like my schedule, my school, my wife, my dog, you know, all those, all those things that we have, I was like, yes, let's do it, you know, and, and I haven't gone the last two weeks with him, but we're going to make that thing happen. We went another time after that I didn't share with you guys, but anyway, Scott, do me a favor, just tell the people who you are, brother. Give us your faith journey. Okay. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> this is not my wheelhouse. <laughs> I, I, I feel a lot better going out there, knocking on doors, meeting with people, believe it or not. So th this is not my comfort zone, but the Lord's with me. He's going to help me through this, and I hope that there's something in my faith journey that's going to help you today right where you're at, too. So as far as me and my background, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. It was a great family, my wonderful mother and father, but I didn't have that spiritual foundational background, and so 
when there is no foundation, you're left to your own devices in terms of how you're, what you're going to learn and from where. So the culture taught me. So as I was going through my 20s, the culture taught me what it is to be a man, and I lived in that way, but I found myself very bankrupt at the end of my 20s. I was searching for something different. And at, the, at, the, at that time, on a Friday afternoon after work, I got a phone call from a deputy sheriff in California where my mother lived and said, are you Scott Projan? I said, yes, I am. He said, well, I have some very bad news for you. I f your mother's dead. And we found her. She's been dead for four days. She was living alone. My parents had been divorced. And it was a very tragic loss. It, it shook me to my core because she was very young. This was over 30 years ago. It was a long time ago. And I didn't know really how to process that. But one thing that came to my mind when I got over the initial grief and all the rest of that is to think about my own life, my own lifestyle, and my own mortality. I said, my goodness, someday I'm going to be standing before God. I didn't really know God. I kind of knew of him, but I didn't know him. And at that moment, I cried out to Jesus. So nobody really came at that moment and shared a track or anything else like that or their testimony and then brought me in and prayed, but I knew of him, but I didn't know him, if that makes sense. And at that time, when I prayed that prayer, or I cried out to God, he came into my life and helped me the rest of my faith journey to grow, and it's been quite a process um, as I've gone along with that. So I guess that you could say that's my testimony, but as a result of saying yes to Jesus, he totally radically changed my life. Everything that I felt was important wasn't near as important as walking with him. And then I went from a, I guess you could say, a cultural foundation to a biblical foundation, one that was based in Jesus Christ himself. So it's been a, a I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for him. I know that because my, my, my life was out of control. So praise God. Amen, <laughs> amen, God. amen. That's, I, didn't, I didn't know that part of your yeah. story, man. That's yeah. pretty, yeah. wow. So, and everybody has a different, you know, journey, if you will, but God radically changes all of us wherever we are. And, and you know, it, and that's the greatest miracle, if you think about it, taking a reprobate life, lifestyle and con converting that and transforming that into one that glorifies him. So, yeah. Amen, amen, amen. So, my second question is how or why, and I guess that's both and there, uh, did you start going door-to-door -door praying for people? Well, that, that too is kind of a process. When I first became a Christian, I had a, a heart for the lost because I realized where I was. I realized how lost I was. I realized how bankrupt my life was, and I thought other people need to hear this as well. So I took a course called Evangelism Explosion. At that time, it was over 25, 30 years ago, and there was kind of a door-to-door -door evangelism type thing that went on. That kind of has gone by the wayside, but it gave me an opportunity and experience to do that, and God taught me a lot through that. Not enough time to get into all that, but that was then set aside for a season, and I didn't really do anything with that, but I thought over the 30 years that I lived in Oviedo with all the people knocking on my door, usually of two groups, if you will, um, representing religion but not really understanding the true living Christ is, is what the Church of Jesus would understand, so they, you know, I thought to myself, what they're doing for a lie, I want to do for the truth. God put that in my heart. Go do for the truth what others are doing for a lie. 
because people need to hear Amen. the truth. They need to know the real Jesus without selling a church, without selling a program, without selling anything but offering hope and encouragement. And so he pressed upon me a few years ago, I, but it, you know, how many of us have heard the word of God speak to us and then we kind of put that on the back burner and go, yep, someday, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. I'll get to that someday. But then there's that still small voice that says, do this, do this, do this. And what better time than this? Our society has been turned upside down. People that used to go out and connect with other people are no longer connecting with other people. They're isolated. They have lost hope. They need to be encouraged. They need to know hope. They need to know the Lord. They need to know that God hasn't forsaken them or forgotten them. So that's been the driving force to do this. And it's, it's been an incredible journey so far. Good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I want to hear what is your worst experience that you've had doing this? Okay. So you would imagine going door to door and, you know, people uh, think about yourselves. The doorbell rings. You go to the door and there's somebody standing there. And immediately there's a thousand thoughts in your mind. What's he selling, first of all? What's, if he's not selling anything, then what's he trying to push? Right? So there's all of that. No matter how loving and caring and kind and considerate you are as a person, that doorbell ring intruded on your, on whatever you were doing at that time, right? So most people are very gracious. You know, we simply say that we're Christians, we're here in the community, we're helping encourage people, we're praying with them to give them encouragement and hope, knowing, letting you know that God hasn't forgotten you, it's been a difficult time, and we talk a little bit about what that looks like, but then how can we come in and help you? Would you permit us to pray for you? Always asking permission, permission, permission never forcing anybody to receive a blessing, but asking them if they would like that. So there was one door, I went around with Tom at that time, and I rang the doorbell, and one of the biggest guys I ever saw in my life opened up the door, he was about that, oh, I can't even get about that big, about that wide. And we said that we're Christians, we're here in the neighborhood, we're encouraging uh, the individuals in this neighborhood with prayer, and then he, what do you want? I don't, I, Christians, I don't want any Christians here. So, I mean, he had a big, <laughs> gruff, deep voice. And realize that when you're out there doing the Lord's work, there's also the enemy because you're now in enemy territory. He doesn't, want you, he doesn't want you going out there and proclaiming the gospel and the good news and giving people hope and encouragement. He wants them to be depressed and discouraged. So Satan gave us his best, right? He, he was big. He was intimidating. And not only did he say, I don't want you at my door, I don't want you in my neighborhood. So I just said, yes, sir, yes, sir, and then we went next door because we're doing the Lord's work. The, the Lord is my shield. He, he is my protector. He, so we weren't afraid of him. Yes, you remember entering the promised land, there were giants, but it was an opportunity <laughs> with milk and honey as well. We weren't afraid of the giant in the land because the Lord was with us. The Lord fights our battles. So not to be concerned, as a matter of fact, what came from, a few doors down was a blessing. Well, perhaps I could share that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the worst experience. So yeah. what was the best experience? Well, the best experience followed right after that. Isn't it amazing <laughs> when you have this, this discourager, this person that would tell you, tuck tail, run, get in your car, leave. There's no way we were, we were going to do that. We pressed forward. So we walked a little bit further out from where he was living. 
And we ran into a gentleman that we had prayed for a couple weeks before, a young man um, who lives alone with his mother. His father was uh, killed uh, when he was a, a child. And so his mother has a disability. Uh, he's a wonderful young man, loves the Lord. He's only 14 years of age. And we had talked about our men's ministry, Forge, and he had indicated his interest in going there. So what we're able to do in talking with him, praying with him, is to then bring him to Forge. So he actually attends Forge. And so he is now um, mentored, discipled, and growing in his faith. And I have this vision to think about other young people. 14, he's 14. He's in eighth grade. But he's, he's, he's a young man with a large stature, 6'3", <laughs> towers above me, but he has such a gentle heart. And the Lord just impressed upon me, that young man needs to go where you are because he's that next generation. How many, his name is Solomon, how many Solomons are there out there that need to hear that word and then come and then be discipled? Because that is what we are passing the torch on to. And then right around the corner, there was a young man by the name of Ryan who said, uh, we rang his door, had a cross around his neck. He said, would you pray for my family? There's a lot of anger right now. COVID's been really hard. We have, you know, my father's job situation and all the rest of this. School's really hard for me at this time. And so we did, and right after that, he just looked at us. He said, this is incredible. I really needed this today. What you are doing is, in this is a teenager. This is the next generation. But what's common throughout this, and there's others as well, there's, there's the door where Christina came to the door and she was praying at her kitchen table and her finances were a mess and she felt very discouraged. And we prayed and encouraged her at that very moment, not by accident, God is always on time. And so we went ahead and prayed for her and then we met a, a gentleman by the name of Barry, moved down from New York with his children, going to get married later this year. But we, one thing led to another. We asked him where he was on a spiritual journey. said he really wasn't very far. Can we share with you? Yes, you may. We went ahead and shared with him. And then he said yes to Jesus. And right at that very moment said he prayed to receive Christ. And then there's stories like that. I could go on and on. But the stories that are the positive stories by far outweigh any of the discouraging stories. And every time we've gone out, somebody says, thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for being there. We really need this right now. So it's an awesome, it's really awesome. And I would encourage you to do that as well. There's, I'm a very ordinary man. There's nothing special about me at all. Trust me, I know that well. Um, God is an awesome God. God can take the ordinary and, and make it extraordinary. So if there's anything extraordinary that's coming through this life, it's only because I have permitted him to do that by saying, Lord, please use me in this way. I want to be used by you. And so, you know, doing that, and I would encourage you to, to do this. We could do it together. But it will take your Christian faith to a different level. It really will. If you find yourself kind of at a point in your life right now where you feel... Um, kind of in a spiritual malaise, just nothing is really, you're just kind of going through the motions and saying, is there anything else out there? When you give of yourself and you serve in that way and you go and do the Lord's work in that way, it will energize you and give you a passion 
that you thought could not come back again. I'm not a young guy. I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. My faith walk is greater now than it has been probably in most of my walk. So what's the difference? I'm simply going out and being obedient to what God's calling me to do to touch, him, to touch other people's lives. There's nothing more fulfilling than to touch a life and to see that life transformed and changed. It, it is the lifeblood of Christ being poured out from within to other people, and that is exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah. Amen, amen, that's good. Can we give Scott a hand? Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Awesome, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I hope that was a, a little bit of insight and encouragement, and I, and I, I want to emphasize this. I love what he said. He said that he wanted to do for the truth what other people are doing for a lie. And other people are pandering. I remember my daughter being young, younger, hallelujah. And um, she was like, I don't remember how we started talking about Jehovah's Witnesses, but she was, she was like, man, why don't we do what they're doing? And I was like, I should have just said yes back then, right, and just taken her and started doing that. But the fact is that they're out there, and they're knocking on doors. And so I'm not telling you that you got to go knock on doors. I am telling you you got to do something. Because I, I, don't, I, I don't think that there is a one-size-fits-all. It's just we've got to do something beyond where we are to make sure that we're reaching. Because the one thing that I loved, right, is that, and, and I, I can attest to this, for sure, every time that we've gone out, people have thanked us for praying for them, for knocking on their doors. And we've walked into moments, just like he said, where you are literally walking into the answer to someone's prayer. And you don't even realize that. Like, you are walking into, just by being sensitive to the Lord, Lord, and someone is praying at a table broken, and guess who knocks on the door? You knock on the door, but guess who's knocking through you? It's Christ who's knocking through you, you know? Someone is broken over their family situation or circumstance, and there is brokenness there. And so, church, we just have to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so, if you have your Bible, if you would, open to the book of Luke, chapter 15. This is a familiar passage of Scripture, Luke, chapter 15. And I know you've been sitting for a moment, but if you would just stand with me as we read God's Word, Luke 15, and we're going to begin reading in verse 11. Luke 15, verse 11, when you got it, say so. And it says, then he said, this is Jesus speaking, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possession with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and, jo and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." 
And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for reaching us when it may have seemed like we were unreachable. Thank you for receiving us when you could have easily rejected us. Thank you, Lord, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us grace, showing us mercy. Thank you that you have not left us by ourselves. And God, we tremble, but we know that you haven't called us just to rejoice in that, but you've called us to be part of that rescue mission as well. And so let us not lose sight of these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. So I want you to think about this this morning, and it is this. Our motivation to defend the faith should not solely be excuse me, be preservation, but expansion. <clears throat> Let me say that again. Our motivation to defend the faith should not be solely preservation, but expansion. And so what I mean is this, is that when you think of defending the faith, as we have talked about over these last few weeks, Jude was writing to the church, he was writing to Christians and talking about them defending the faith, protecting or preserving the faith, and that way what? That way we would not have false teaching enter in and hinder what God is doing within the church. But here's what I want you to think about, right? Because when you look at this scripture, we have to have some context to what the story is. This isn't just some story or some analogy. This is actually something that happened. But why does Jesus share this with the people? Well, go back to verse 1. Look what it says. It says, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus responds by sharing a parable of a lost sheep and then a parable of a lost coin and then this parable of a lost son. But, but, but can we just do something just for a moment because I want you to see what, what my point here is when I'm saying that when we think about uh, defending the faith, it cannot solely be about preservation but about expansion. Because when you look at these words, you hear people, and, and, and I would ask you, right, how many of you ever heard somebody say, you know, Jesus ate with sinners? Anybody ever heard someone say that? And we should be around sinners, right? Like, we should be. I think we should participate. However, I want you to notice something. Because when you think about what Jesus, because it said this, now think about this, tax collectors and sinners drew near what? To hear him. So my question is, what was he saying? 
Because when you talk about, you know, being invitational, when you talk about being, uh, you know, whatever word you want to put on it, you know, being a church that is welcoming, that is inclusive, all that kind of stuff, you're hearing something. Right now you're hearing something. You're hearing me communicate. You should be hearing something anytime you go to church. Anytime you gather together, you're hearing the word, or I will say, you're hearing a message that is being communicated. But you know what? We can see exactly what Jesus was saying. All we got to do is back up a few verses. So let's hit reverse. Let's go back to chapter 14, verse 25. Let's look at this. Look at this. I love Jesus. I, I love, I mean, I, I love him, but I love him. Like when, when I look at like what he, what he, what is he saying that these, 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 now look what it says here. Now great multitudes went with him and he turned and he said to them. So now we're about to see Jesus. And this is me helping you understand. This is Jesus defending the faith. Now look at how he defends the faith, but his mindset isn't solely preservation, it's expansion. Think about this. Look what he says here. Jesus turns to them, great multitudes come, and he says to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. How about that for a church growth strategy? <laughs> y'all are sinners, tax collectors, y'all are coming to hear me? Let me tell you what I got to say. This is what it means to follow me. But notice, they didn't, they didn't just walk away. Right? Like they came back, like either they're glutton for punishment or I don't know. They're, something is going on. Nonetheless, so he, he continues on in this dialogue here. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goes to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends delegations and asks conditions of peace. Verse 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what was Jesus saying to these tax collectors and sinners? Hey, just say a prayer and you're good. Hey, just come to church, give some money, you're good. Is that what he was saying? No, no, no. Jesus was defending the faith. Jesus was establishing what it meant to be a follower of Christ because if we don't have the clear foundation of what is expected, then guess what? Our building is going to crumble. Our expansion doesn't happen because I've called you to a Christianity. I've called you to a following, a faith that isn't really what it really is. What Jesus does for us is he shows us that he wasn't, he wasn't playing around with these people that were coming to hear him, and, and he wasn't worried about offending someone. I mean, as a matter of fact, I don't think there are more offensive words than what, if I got up here and I said to you, you got to hate your children, you got to hate your, your spouse, well, some of y'all might be like, okay, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> you got to hate your, you got to hate your, you'd be like, oh, but I got to go, I, Bishop, you're crazy, you're, you're too extreme. Jesus was extreme. 
Jesus was making it clear to follow me means something. There is, you, you have to lay down your life. You cannot just come to me and say, well, you know what? I just need you to be the cherry on top. No, no, no. I got to be the whole cake. It's not enough. Jesus can't just be the icing and, and the cute part. No, no, no. Jesus isn't just a fixing on the side. He is the main course. He is everything in your life. Is God. I mean, this is what Jesus says. These are not my words. I know they're strong words. They're good. They're words that will keep you. Because when you're living your life for his glory, that's what it means, right? You're laying your life down. And so Jesus communicates that. And then this brings us again to the thought, our motivation to defend the faith should not be solely preservation but expansion. People need to know what it means to follow Christ. We need to live what it means to follow Christ. And when someone wants to come to Jesus, when, when you know, the motivation of this, of, this, of this sermon was the other night I was sitting down, I believe it was Tuesday night. Yes, it was Tuesday night because Elaine was doing the Ladies Connect. And so I was, I'm in charge of the, the bedtime routine on the Tuesday night. Elaine typically does bedtime routine. Josiah loves to snuggle with his mom and all this stuff. And, you know, and it's beautiful, hallelujah. And he always kicks me out. But anyway... Tuesday night, he stuck with me, and so we're sitting down, we're reading through his, through his Bible, and we're reading the, the parable of the lost son, and somehow in our conversation, you know, when your kids, like, they have something, like, they want something, they keep bringing it up all the time. Like, out of nowhere, out of the blue, it just comes up, and, and, and Josiah has asked me, like, at least uh, three times so far, out of the blue, why, why, why can't I be baptized? And I'm like, Josiah, do you understand what baptism is? And he's like, yeah, it means that I want to make a commitment to Christ, and I'm like, Okay, but I'm like, but Josiah, listen, man, I'm like, it's, it's, you, you make a commitment to Christ with or without baptism. And so we go through this whole conversation. And so that, that particular night, I start to read the story of the prodigal son. And he's like, hey, I know that story. And I'm like, okay, so tell me the story. And so he starts talking to me about the story. And so then he goes, so why can't I be baptized? I'm like, glory to God. So, you know, I told you guys the other day that I'm not with all of this easy believism, mamby-pamby, you know, hey, just say a prayer and make Jesus. No, I'm not, I'm not with all that. I'm not, that. That's not scriptural. The scripture says if you're going to follow Jesus, you are to repent and believe. Does a seven-year-old understand what repentance is? He does now. Hallelujah. <laughs> For his age, right, I mean, he, only, he can only understand so much. But I'm like, okay, well, Josiah, what, what does it mean? So we went through the story. And I'm like, so Josiah, I'm like, what, is, what does it mean to repent? And he's like, well, I don't know. And so I explained to him, it means to turn from sin, to change your mind. And I'm like, do you know what sin is? And he's like, yeah, that's doing things we shouldn't do. I'm like, all right, you're on the right track. Hallelujah. And so I said, you, you understand that Jesus died for your sins. And he's, he's there. He's like, yes. And I'm like, okay. And I said, so do you want to make that commitment to him? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, okay, well, do you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? So he's drinking his, you know, his chocolate milk. And he's like, yes. I'm like, okay. I'm like, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose again? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, so do you want to you make this commitment? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, all right. So as any good dad, I get on my knees, and I'm like, all right, because he usually lays down, and then I pray and all that, and I'm like, you got to sit up for this. This is serious. So he sits up, and I'm like, all right, so pray after me. And so we start to pray, and as any good parent, I'm crying as we're praying, and I'm holding back tears, and then I pray for him that, you know, God, that this seven-year-old, that this will take in his life, and, you know, I finish, and I say amen, and then when I come up, he looks at me, and then he starts crying, and I'm like, Josiah, what's the matter? And he's like, I'm just so happy, and I'm like, okay. 
And I'm like, you're hot. And so, you know, praise the name of the Lord. So pray for my son. Pray for him. Amen. Right? Pray for him, right? Because, you know, I want him to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm getting him an ESV, you know, following Jesus Bible because he needs an ESV version. Hallelujah. Because that's what I do at school. But it's about following Christ. So I want to help him to grow that. But nonetheless, I was in this. And as I was in this, this story of the prodigal son, I was moved. And I said, man. What is defending the faith about? It is about preserving in our faith, but presenting our faith to a world and letting them know this is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. It isn't, again, just about church attendance. It isn't just about, you know, getting dunked in water. Hello, somebody. It's, it's, it's about being, you know, committed to Christ and what that really means. And we look at this parable, this retelling of what happened with this lost son. What we realize is what? Is that there are some principles here that you and I have to grasp. And it is that Jesus was clearly communicating to these Pharisees and letting them know, man, you guys are over here and you don't even have the right heart toward the lost. I got five minutes. I got to do all this. Hallelujah. The first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, rebels, rebels. do not know, do not know. They're, lost. they're lost. The first thing that we see in this parable, and I'll just give you the verse. Verse 13, it says, he journeyed to a far country. He journeyed to a far country. The, the, the prodigal son or the lost son, he didn't stumble into, the lost, into a far country. He intentionally made his way there. He thought, man, my best life is ahead of me. And he was not realizing he was about to walk into his worst nightmare. He begins this journey. He's like, you know what, here's the deal. But you know what I want you to understand is that the rebellion of the younger son isn't so much seen in the lifestyle that he lived as much as his rejection of the father. See, we, we get caught up in the harlotry, we get caught up in the, in, in, in the prodigal living, the wasteful living, and that's all bad. But you know what the real problem was? The real problem, the real uh, 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 indication that there was an issue is his heart issue because he comes to his dad as a youngest son and he says, you know what, dad, I wish you were dead. Bishop, we didn't read that in the text. No, that's what he was saying to his dad. When he was saying to his dad, hey, split for me your inheritance, what he was saying is, dad, I don't want to be under your household anymore. I don't want to be under your rule anymore. I want what is owed to me, and I'm out. His rebellion is seen in the fact that he rejected his father's love. It led him to a way of living. Think about this. We are always headed for trouble whenever we value things more than people. Hello. He valued things more than he valued his father. We are always headed for trouble when we, when we value pleasure more than duty. Hello. We're more concerned with our pleasure. We are, un, we are headed for destruction or trouble whenever distant scenes we value those more than the blessings we have right at home. How many of us, they, you know, we're like, man, I can't wait to be free. Come on now. You lived, you lived at home, you lived under the, under the thumb, under the fist, under the, I don't know what it was. You lived under the rule of somebody, and you were like, I'm done with that mess right there. Only to find yourself like, man, I want to go home. Hello. <laughs> like, man, how does this refrigerator always fool when I'm at home, right? Like, like how, how does that occur? Like, I walk, I, I, go, I go to school, I drink the last of the milk, I come home, there's more milk. How does that happen? Hello. The prodigal son, he, he is, 
He is, he is a blessed person, and let me tell you why. I never forget somebody said this to me, and this like stuck to me deep. God's worst judgment is when he blesses your rebellion. One of the questions that was asked was, how do you witness to someone who is content being an atheist and gets upset anytime you reference God? That is a person who is living in rebellion, but because their life is not turned upside down, because everything seems okay, they don't care about your God because, you know, you know, I don't know what I need God for. I have a job. My family's okay. Everything is all right. Wait, wait, wait. It's really not. Because there is this seeming success. There is this seeming ease, and that's one of the worst places to be. So witnessing, how do we answer that? Well, sometimes defending the faith is begging God to open someone's eyes to see their true condition. It's loving them in the midst of that because you've already had conversations ad nauseum. Hello, somebody. It is being a light to them. It is showing them that, you know what, whether you reject my God or not, whether you accept him or not, whether you hear what I'm saying or not, I'm still going to show you the love of Christ. Because we got to remember that it is the goodness of God that turns people to repentance. It's not our good arguments. Hello. I love Scott's story in the sense that he was like, man, it wasn't like somebody had a debate with me. It wasn't even like someone really shared the faith. Obviously, there was some seed deposited somewhere along his life, but he didn't make that decision. One, It was at a moment, which will bring us to our next point, it was at a moment that he came to himself. Second thing, say this with me. Say repentance is an unseen work of grace. Repentance is an unseen work of grace. Long before many of you, if you think about when you came to faith, there was a whole long time before that that you were kind of coming to faith. There were moments that you were probably talking to God, even though no one knew about it. There were moments you were thinking about God. Nobody, you didn't have the conversation. Maybe you did have conversation with someone about it. I know I did, right? God started dealing with me, you know, uh, for a while. And a month or so before I got saved, I remember my mom read a scripture to me. And she, uh, you know, communicated the, the scripture, um, Proverbs 1.8, you know, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but only fools despise wisdom and instruction. And that, like, hit me in the chest, like, what on earth? I remember getting in the car with my friend. And I was like, man, we're a bunch of fools. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, my mom just read this scripture to me. And man, we, I'm like, guys, we do the same thing every single day. And they were like, shut up and roll the blunt. I'm like, okay, whatever, let's be fools. That's just, that, that's, that's, the, that, that's, God was dealing with me. I didn't come to faith until a while later. But God was working. Grace was operating what does the scripture say? The scripture says in verse 17, it says, he came to himself. Hallelujah for those words. He, he, listen, he didn't just figure it out on his own. I mean, homeboy was looking at, you know, at a, Jew, a Jewish boy, right? Like, like, like a, a kosher person. Hello, somebody. Pork was not a thing. He was, the job he got was take care of the pigs. Come on now. You talk about God's love, that was God's love. Like, boy, I'm, I'm going to put you out there with the thing that you know are unclean. And not only that, you're going to be out there looking at these unclean things, and you are going to desire their food, not even to eat them. You want their food. Hello. It's the love of God. It's the goodness of God. It don't look like it. Oh, it is. God didn't just leave him in his pigsty. Hello. But God used that in order to draw him in, in order to bring him 
into that, that, that place where, man, he came to himself. He's like, man, how many of my dad's hired servants have bread and to spare? And I'm over here starving and broke, wanting to eat pig food. Hello. And he begins to turn around. And thank God, his rebellion brought him back home. His rebellion brought him back home. Here's what, I, here's what I want you to realize, is that defending the faith in an evangelistic context must be tactful and, above all else, Holy Spirit-led. Why do I say that? We must seek to be in tune with what God is already doing in someone's heart, or we'll just get in the way. Are you here? See, when we talk about, you know, and I know some of you are like, I'm never going to go knock on doors. I pray that you repent like me. Hallelujah. I pray. And listen, and one thing that Scott didn't say, and I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't make this clear, but here's the one thing that he makes clear. He's like, it's never by yourself. You always go two by two. It's a biblical principle. You don't go alone. You don't go knocking on people's doors by yourself. Have some, every time that Scott, we go to a door, and I, I always let Scott do the, do, the, do the original talk. I think I've only talked like one time. But anyway, he, 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 he initiates the conversation. And while he's talking, I'm praying that God will use his words and that God will direct him. And as we're having the conversation, that's what should be happening. You should be praying. You should also be with your eyes open. Hello, looking around, right? But you got to be led by the Spirit because you know what will happen? You have a program. He said he went through evangelism explosion. There's, you know, certain questions you ask. If you died right now and you stood before the Lord, where would you be? And you know what? That may work with some people. And for other people to be like, man, I don't know. I don't want to hear about any of that. For someone else, it's like, hey, man, where are you at on your walk? And, and different tools, different ways. But you've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You, because you know what? You can waste your time arguing with people trying to defend the faith. It's going nowhere. Come on. You're simply there to be a light in, in the neighborhood and just be a, be a light in the community, right? You're, just, you're, you're there because guess what? That little knock on the door, we had people, one guy, I think, I didn't tell you guys about the second time it went out, but one guy, he was like, he was grumbling before we even, you know, got, got finished saying, you know, he, he wasn't as big as the other dude, but, you know, he was over there, he's like, I'm like, what? He's, he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want prayer. He's like, you see that on the doorpost? I'm like, no, I don't. And we looked at it and he's like, I'm Jewish. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I wanted to say, well, you know, Jesus was a Jew, so I think you're in good company, but, but that would have been me. That wouldn't have been the Holy Spirit. That, that would have went nowhere. That would have been me, a sarcastic Christian. That's all that would have been. I would have felt good about it. I'm not lying. I would have felt like I got a little jab in for Jesus. <laughs> right? <laughs> got a little jab in for Jesus, you know, like, like Jesus needs me to be jabbing people, right? No. We've got to be led by the Spirit. This man was already in a place where God was dealing with him, and God brought him home. Now think about it. If you run into a prodigal, because guess what? There's tons of prodigals out here. You sit by them. You eat by them. You live by them. They may be part of your family. How would you, how would you help them home? Would you get in the way? Or would you be led by the Spirit? The third thing. Say this with me. Say, rejoicing happens, rejoicing happens when the lost are found. Rejoicing happens when the lost are found. I love this. Let's look at read. Let's read this together, beginning in verse 20. And it says, and he arose and came to his father. 
But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, listen, I love this picture. Because I want you to notice, before the son said a word, the father was already loving on him. Before the son could get the words of repentance out of his mouth and regret out of his mouth, the father was loving on him. He says in verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The father rejoiced over the son's return. And I want you to understand this. That when you are out there sharing your faith. When you are out there defending the faith under the leadership of the spirit of God. You can be a vessel of reconciliation to bring someone back to the father. By simply communicating, Sean was sharing with us during our time of prayer this morning, someone that he is witnessing to, someone that he is ministering to, someone who is struggling in their faith in a big, big way, struggling with their identity in a huge way, and, and praise the name of the Lord, Sean has been able to minister to that person, and, and not compromising the faith, defending the faith, and also calling this person to faith, and hey, the person's been watching us for two weeks online. Hallelujah. And so don't ever think that what you're doing doesn't matter. Just be faithful to what God is calling you to do because as you are there, you are doing what? You're being a vessel that can bring someone to the Father. Now, the illustration of the Father running to, you know, his son and him, uh, you know, hugging him and clothing him and restoring his son may be lost on us, right? Because that would be natural. I just told you about Josiah, and it's natural. Like any parent in here, you're, you're weeping when your child decides they want to make a commitment of faith to Jesus. And, but, but, but when you look at this story and you think about it, the first thing is men in that time, they didn't run. I was undignified. They weren't running. What did this father do? He picked up his robe and he ran to his son. He got undignified about his son. He ran to him. The other thing that it gets lost on us, right, is because when you think about like stoning someone, that's like out of your, like, you can't even fathom that, right? But that was a thing. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18 to 21, because of what this son had done, because of his rebellion, guess what was supposed to happen when he came home? He was supposed to be stoned. So first of all, the father runs to his son. The second thing he does is he falls on his neck. He wraps his arms around him, and he's saying, listen, if you're going to kill him, you got to get through me first. If you're going to stone him, you got to get through me first. I'm going to protect my son. Servants in those times, they didn't wear sandals. They didn't have robes on. They didn't have rings on. But guess what the father was saying? You're not a servant. You're my son. I'm not going to leave you in your rebellion. He was dead. I mean, that, that, that messed me up. My son who was dead. Why? Remember what I said earlier? Dad, I wish you were dead. This son was dead, separated 
from the Father, and yet the Father does what? The Father restores him. Church, you got to realize this. Why is this important? Why, why is this important? Lost and found. Why defending the faith matters. That's the subtitle for this, this, this series that we're continuing on, thinking about defending the faith. Why does it matter? Because every time that we share our faith, we're offering liberty to people. We are offering full acceptance to the Father. And so I'll wrap up with this. Jesus, the scripture says in John chapter 14, we know the verse. Jesus is the way, is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. But I want you to just think about this. This, this person, this lost son was lost. And you know who Jesus is? Jesus is the way for those who are lost. This son was deceived. This son was deceived. Jesus is the truth for those who are deceived. This son was dead. Jesus is the life for those who are dead. Dead. We're dead, the scripture says in, in the book of Ephesians. We are dead in our trespasses and sins separated from the love, the mercy, the grace of God. The scripture says we are under the wrath of God. This is the gospel. Every single person on this planet that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that has not repented of their sins, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They are under the wrath of God. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came on a rescue mission to deliver those who are lost, to find those who are lost, to set free those who are in bondage. Jesus came to do that in church. He didn't come to do it by himself. He saved us. He called us. He filled us with his spirit. And now he sends us into this mission. This is beautiful. I love to gather and worship. I love, man, let, let me tell you something. I want one of my highlights is to come together and worship with the people of God. But man, it is so beautiful to know, number one, when you knock on that door or you have that conversation, whether it's knocking on the door or not, and that person rejects you, you know that you were doing that in the name of the Lord and God is not upset with you. God is pleased that you stepped out and you opened the door to have the conversation or knocked on the door. And then there is great rejoicing in those moments where you find, Scott said it the last time we went out. Last time we went out, we didn't have, well, we, we had some pretty good stories the last time we went out too. There was, some, there, there was some crazy stuff that happened, you know, we got cursed at, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> by someone who was behind the door, not even talking to us while we were having a good conversation with the person in front of the door. But anyway. But something happens when you knock on that door or you have that conversation with that person who God has been dealing with and you can be part of that answer to prayer. That's part of our mission, church. And my hope and my prayer is that we would step out in faith. And so my closing question is this. Will you commit to the extension of the kingdom via sharing your faith. Will you commit to the extension of the kingdom via sharing your faith? I don't want this message just to fall on deaf ears. I know that I went a little bit over, and so I'm going to do this quickly. If you say yes to that, listen, and you, I'm, not, I'm not trying to manipulate anyone. If you say yes to that, I just want you to stand up so I can pray with you. If you say, yes, Lord, I want to. I, I want to be part of that. I, I commit to the extension of the kingdom of God. All right, let's pray. Father God, I come to you right now, and I thank you for those who have said yes. Lord God, I know that it's tough, Lord God, to say yes, but not just to say it in this place. This is the easy part, God.
But Father, when we leave this place, I pray that your spirit would fill my brothers, my sisters. I pray that you would saturate them in your power, in your presence. I pray that we would be aware of what you are doing in the lives of others. I pray that we would be sensitive to what is happening and that we would, by faith, step out and that we would step forth, my God. Father, there are some of us that you are calling clearly to get together with another brother or sister to begin you know, once a week and, and just go knock on doors just to say, hey, can we pray for you, that we want to bring hope to your life. Father, there are others that we are in workplaces or in neighborhoods, and, and, and we know, Lord God, that you have given us opportunities and even called us to challenge us, and Lord God, we haven't responded, but today, Lord God, we say yes. Today we say yes, God. And so, Lord, use us Lord, none of us, Lord God, I, I, I resonate with the words of my brother Scott. He says it all the time, Lord, that he's nobody. But I stand next to him as a nobody who wants to tell everybody about somebody. And so, Lord, let that be our heart and our devotion. As my sister Sarah asked us to pray earlier today, Lord God, give us boldness to be witnesses for your gospel, for your glory, and for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and saying yes, and I pray.